welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. We want to welcome you into week two in our throwback series, Rock the Bells. We've blessed others, so let's remember to eat with others. Let's go ahead and jump in and see what God's word has for us from guest speaker, Pastor Tufu Tao. Today, we'll, I'll be speaking on eating with others. And the passage is coming from Acts chapter 11. If you have a Bible or an app, you can find your way to Acts chapter 11. As you get started, I've got a question for you all. What is the worst thing that someone has made for you to eat? What is the most disgusting, worst thing that someone's made for you to eat? For me, uh, a couple years ago, my church took a trip to Peru and went to the Amazon. And if you know anything about the Amazon, they eat the things that live in the Amazon. And uh, they're very poor people, they don't have much, but uh, they, they found out that there are these guests coming from America, and so they scraped together all that they had. We showed up at the dinner table, and what we found was guinea pig. Guinea pig. Now, uh, I don't know about the Amazon, I don't know, I'm sure this is what, like pretty common to their diet, uh, but in America, we don't eat guinea pigs, right? Uh, I was surprised. But here's what my pastor said. Where the Lord leads, we follow. What the Lord feeds, we swallow. So we sat there cutting up our guinea pig and doing our best to stomach it. Now, here's something for you guys. When you host someone, how do you feed them? I'm sure you don't give them guinea pig, but you probably give them your best. The scary thing, though, is Sometimes our best looks like guinea pig to others, right? We're trying our best to host them. We're being really polite, right? Or very hospitable. We dress up and then we give them our very best and it still doesn't feel like enough. And that's the really scary thing about opening up your home and your kitchen table or your dinner table and inviting someone into the messiness of your life and you give them your very best and still that might look like it's not enough. What if they're disgusted? What if they don't like it? What if, what if, what if? But the thing that I know is that God honors us when we honor others. God honors us when we honor others. And so here's a question I want you all to consider throughout this message. How do we intentionally use our table for influence? How do we, how do we live intentionally and use our table for influence? See, the early church had this problem. The early church uh, was composed of a diverse group of people. Now, in Acts chapter 2, verses 9-11, right before the Holy Spirit falls, we know that there's all these people gathered in the city of Jerusalem, and then the Holy Spirit falls on uh, this group, and they are from all over. Here's Acts chapter 2, verses 9-11. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygera, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, right? all kinds of folks, Jews and converts to Jews or Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And guess what happened? When the spirit fell, they all heard uh, the word of God declared in their own tongues. Such a diverse group of people all hearing the word of God in their own tongues. Uh, And with such diversity, there was bound to be conflict, you'd think, right? 
So many different types of people all gathered together. The Holy Spirit is working and there should be conflict, but no. Actually, it's the opposite. They all heard the the wonders of God declared in their own language. There was unity. There was unity. Now, what an odd thing that the church started with a diverse group of people that should have not been together, and yet there was unity, and there was community. As we think, consider this, I want us to turn to Acts chapter 11, verses uh, one. And I'm gonna start reading for us. We're just gonna go through this section of Acts and kind of pick it apart, and I believe that as we go through this, that God is going to speak to you all, and the thing that I, I don't normally do this, but the thing that I'm gonna be ending off on, uh, I'll give you guys uh, this, the, the secret sauce here. It is that we cannot do communion without community. That's how we're gonna end this sermon. We're not gonna, we cannot do communion without community. So in, in the very early church, there's a diverse group of people, and guess what? They are all either Jewish or Jewish converts, So they all, even though they're diverse, they're all kind of the same thing, right? They're all Jewish or Jewish converts. In the book of Acts chapter 11, though, there is something different that God begins to do. And he begins to work among the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles, that's a a Bible word for non-Jewish people. And this is the first time that God begins to work among non-Jewish people in the early church. Raise your hand if you are not Jewish. All right, that's, that's me, right? That's most of us. Maybe a couple of us are, right? But most of us are not Jewish. This is the moment the Holy Spirit spills out of uh, the Jewish people into the rest of the world, right? This is the exact moment. So God was working among these diverse Jews, and then in the book of Acts, he begins to work among the Jewish people and It is not unified. In fact, as God begins to work among different people, there is disunity, there is discord and disagreement. Acts chapter 11, verses one, let me read for us. Actually, before we do, let me pray for us uh, and then I'll jump into this word. Father, I thank you for the word of God. We know that it is living and active. And the words that I speak, Lord God, the words that we read together, Lord, that they have ability, God, to work in our hearts, God, beyond my intention. I pray, Lord God, that you would convict our hearts with this word. We are looking forward, God, to meeting you in the middle of this word. You say that it is living, Lord God. So our expectation, Lord God, is that it would engage us, Lord, engage our hearts. Lead us, Lord God, to revelation and repentance, Lord. We receive you, God, as we receive these words, God. We thank you. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 11, verses one, it says, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that's like Jewish people, criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance. I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending. And I'll stop there. So this is what's going on, guys. So in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to work among these Jewish people. And then it's heard that in the distance, these non-Jewish Gentiles, right? Uh, and that they're associated, it's not just that they're not Jewish, but non-Jewish people are associated with unclean. So these folks should not 
they should not be hearing the word of God, right? That nothing connected to the holiness of God should be happening in this community. And yet uh, they're hearing it. And not only that, but Peter is accused of eating with them, okay? You guys see the problem here? Peter, who's one of the disciples, he's like right there hanging out with Jesus all this time. He is accused of hanging out with the unclean. And Peter in the past, he's been like, you know, he gets in trouble, he's kind of hot-headed, and um, he starts getting into it. He's like, you know what? Actually, you're right, I did. And he begins to tell them, uh, this, the, this vision that unfolds. So let me continue reading here. Uh, verse four, starting with, from the beginning, Peter told him the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance. Uh, in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a large sheet being led down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it. And I saw four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. So what's going on here is Peter is a good Jewish person. He knows that there are certain things that are kosher, which means you can eat it. And there are other things that are not kosher. You cannot touch it. You you cannot eat it. If you eat it, you become unclean. But the crazy thing is God is saying, hey, there are these things that are what you thought not kosher, but I'm making kosher, right? There are things that you think you should not touch, you should not eat, and I'm saying, go ahead and eat it, go ahead and touch it. Now, is God doing all of this because he's wanting to diversify Peter's diet? No, that's not what he's, he's, he doesn't care about what Peter's eating. What he's doing is he's changing his paradigm. He's saying, hey, there are these things that you used to not do and I'm changing it. It's clean, not because it was clean in the past, but because it's clean uh, in the future. I am making it clean. It is now kosher, okay? And the, the thing I want you to remember, here's my first point for you. Food is identity. Food is identity. When uh, I hang out with all kinds of folks, right? White folks, black folks, Hispanic folks. And... Uh, when I moved to Charlotte, the first time I started hanging out with a lot of, you know, uh, Caucasian brothers, and they just didn't have a lot of, a lot of Asian friends, right? So uh, they're just sweetest people, loved me so much, and really wanted to connect with me, but not sure exactly how. And I don't know if you've been in that situation. Maybe, maybe you're white and you're like, I, that's me. That's, I, I love other people and I want to connect. Well, that's them. They were trying to connect with me and they're like, Tufa, we love you so much. Hey, man. Um, yeah. You know the crazy thing? I had Chinese food the other night. I said, woo. Okay. Uh, this is how we're going to start. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm not Chinese. I love Chinese food, though. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to. And I was like, a, a thought occurred to me, food is identity, right? Like this brother, he's sweetest ever, you know, loves God. And as he's trying to connect with me, he's, he's starting with food because that's how we all, and the crazy thing, like food, right, identifies a person. Like we can say, hey, I'm going to get Italian food. I'll get Chinese food. I'll get Mexican food, right? And, but for short, you can say, I'm getting Mexican. I'm getting Italian, 
right? You can say, I'm getting soul food. I'm getting like Southern home cooking. Like the, food identifies people. And in the same way, Peter here is identifying food with people, right? All these beasts and reptiles and birds, right? The things that he thought were unusual, now, right, God is making clean. The th- and as well, the way that he thought about and identified these people, unclean, right? God is changing that identity, not for them, but for Peter. He's saying, hey, all these things, I'm changing the way you think about it. Uh, I'm changing the way that you interact with it. Um, a couple years ago, uh, my wife and I, actually the very first year my wife and I got married, we decided to plant a church in the inner city. I'm, I'm actually from the inner city of Detroit, but uh, I took my wife back. She's not from the inner city. Uh, and we decided that we we're going to reach out to a bunch of the neighborhood kids, play basketball with them, invite them over for dinner. And the crazy thing is, uh, when you live in the inner city, when people, when you invite someone into your home, what you're saying is, you're my family. Okay, and they invite you into their home, right? And you are their family, right? And there's no embarrassment. It doesn't matter what your house looks like, right? You're just family, okay? So uh, these kids, I'm playing ball with them. I invite them over to my house, right? They eat dinner. And then what I find out is the next day, uninvited, they show up at my door. <laughs> They're like, hey, Tufu, Grace, you guys in there? I'm like, yeah, we're here. Uh, can I come in? And they just plop themselves at the dinner table, and they eat whatever we, we have, right? That's just how it works. Every, every night, if they're free, they just come over. I was really surprised by this, but um, I was really even more surprised by how they responded. So, you know, uh, we don't eat the same things they eat, right? Like our, our palate's a lot more diverse, right? So um, we love Indian food. And a lot of these kids that grow up, they eat pizza, hamburgers, French fries. And, but you know, this is my dinner table, so I'm eating Indian curry, and it smells really strong, it's kind of different color, and these kids sit down, and they're like, what is this, man, this does not look good. And I'm like, ah, it's just what we eat, man, just try some of it. He tries it, and then every night from then on, he asks, are we having Indian? Are we having Indian? The, the crazy thing was, it was so natural for him, right, to change his perception of this food. Right, it looked really bad, and I'll just tell you, it looks brown and yellow, and looks like it came out the other end, right? But every night afterwards, he changed his perception and said, hey, you guys have an Indian? Because I want to come over. That was good stuff. That's what we need to do as believers. When we open up our table, and, or when we go to other people's tables, can we change the way that not just we see their food, but we see them? Can we change the way that we love others and we see them. And here's the other thing, for, for people who come into our homes and we're serving maybe not Indian food, but like metaphorically Indian food, there's like stuff that we're afraid, we wanna kinda hide you know, before they get there. It's all the messiness in our life, right? All the stuff that we're embarrassed about showing them. Can we be honest with them? Can you just say, okay, I don't know if you're going to like Indian. I don't know if you're going to like guinea pig, but that's what's on the, the menu. Like, this is us. I'm going to be honest with you. This is who we are, right? You might, I'm a little bit embarrassed. You can even say that. I'm, I don't know if this is your, your, uh, your thing, but this is just who I am. It might not be their thing, but you know what's going to happen? They're going to say, hey, that guy is honest, He's not, he's not fake or sh- that, that lady, that family, they are completely transparent and transparency is beautiful to this generation, 
right? There's so many people who like, they dress up, they put on their, you know, the best outfit, they comb their hair, they look really clean and look like dapper. But the thing is, people, they look at them and they don't see that they've made an effort to look, the, you know, uh, cleaned up, but they see not authentic, you know, they see, oh man, like I showed up, showed up at church and everyone's in their Sunday best, but that's not who they are. I don't, do they really love Jesus? I don't see the messiness in their life. It's actually in the messiness of our lives that people see the grace of God. You guys ever think about that? It's in the messiness of our life that people begin to see God at work. Uh, when my wife and I, we lost our, our baby, um, there was a moment and we, my wife said, do we just share this or do we keep it private? And, you know, she's really active on social media. She's a photographer, and so she's always posting stories and whatnot. And so she said, you know what? This is just part of who I am, so I'm going to share with people. And uh, there's a really, you know, a touching uh, film that she put out. Uh, it's actually, we're in bed, and we're like disheveled hair everywhere, and we're just weeping. You know, this is the morning that we found out that our baby's heart had stopped. And so she recorded it. I didn't know it was going to go on, online, but she put it out there, and she said, hey, You know, this is who we are. We're just going to be honest with our pain. Uh, Usually people don't want to talk about that stuff. You know, it's really embarrassing. It's hard to talk about. But she just put it out there. And uh, she talked to me about it. And I I, I said, sure, yeah. But what I didn't realize was how much of an impact it would make. Almost overnight, there was like the flood of emails of people who had experienced the same thing. And then there was a flood of people who who were going through the same things. And even today, that's one of my wife's ministry. She ministers to women who have lost a child in stillbirth, right? And it's not a ministry that she was looking for, but it was just something that happened to us and then she was just open about it. Our messiness invites people into relationship. It's not the cleanness of our life. It's the honesty. It's the, the, the transparency of it. Second point here, when the Holy Spirit begins to work, he unifies people. The Holy Spirit unifies people. Let me read for us verses nine to 15. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, right? And so Peter is... Uh, He's just experienced this vision of the animals being descended on a sheet and the voice from heaven speaks a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction these six brothers also accompanied me. So three men from Caesarea, which is Greek, right? And then uh, nine brothers who are Jewish, they accompanied me and, they, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. As, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. So here's what's happening, okay? So Peter is Jewish. He has this perception about not only non-Jewish food, right, but also non-Jewish people. God works in his heart in this vision. It happens three times, and then after the vision, three men show up, and almost God's like, hey, look, Three and three, I'm putting, I'm doing the math for you. 
And these three men are not Jewish. He's hanging out with these nine other or maybe more Jewish guys who he calls brother. Now brother is a term that we use purely for family, right? Family, but in this case, the early church, they called each other brothers because they loved each other and this the term we use today in our, our churches, right? And there's these three men, outsiders, and God says, smush. You guys are all one, right? Like it or not, that's how it's working, okay? And as they get to this man's house, uh, they say, hey, look, God, we don't know how, why we're having this dream, but like God said, send to Joppa for a man named Peter. Right now you're here, and Peter begins to speak, and the Spirit of God begins unifying them. In the same way that God worked in Pentecost in Acts chapter two, God begins to work in these non-Jewish people's hearts and their lives. And they're surprised, they've never seen anything like this. And the only person to help navigate that is Peter. And Peter's got, is in his conundrum, right? He's like, wait a minute, okay, I know that just happened. God just spoke to me about this and now he wants me to respond. Like for my whole life, I thought these non-Jewish people were dirty, right, unclean and now God said they're clean and immediately after, right, now I have to minister to them and teach them about God who is holy, right? And how do I do this? How does he do it? He does it in faith. He does it in faith. Okay, for some of us, as we think about God unifying us and having these meals, right? Uh, maybe you think, wow, that is a beautiful picture, inviting all these different people over for a meal where you eat together and you become a family. Uh, maybe something like Thanksgiving. But as I think about Thanksgiving, I realize that is a beautiful time for me and is also a horrible time for me. Right, so this is what Thanksgiving looks at, like at my house. I don't know what it looks like at your house. It looks like frantically trying to get all the food ready, right? Thinking about all the needs that people have, people coming from all over and you gotta make sure they're taken care of, right? And then kids running around, grandma's picking on you, right? Like uncle's saying something inappropriate, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, how do I get everybody together? Right, the amazing thing is, that when God works, despite the messiness, there is always unity, right? When you, when you think back on Thanksgiving, you don't just think about how chaotic and crazy it is. You think, man, I miss those guys, right? In spite of all the mess of Thanksgiving dinner, all the hard work of it, right? There is the thing that is beautiful about Thanksgiving is the unity. See, God makes brothers out of strangers, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You invite someone who's not a part of your family and after Thanksgiving dinner, it's like they are, right? Like your coworker or, you know, friend, excuse me, someone who, you know, is just kind of, you know, distantly uh, uh, familiar to you and you're like, you don't have any plans for Thanksgiving, come over. What happens is, is if and when they sit down for Thanksgiving dinner, they become friends. And... That is the same thing that our Heavenly Father does in community over a meal. When you invite someone for a meal, what you are saying literally to them is, hey, we are family. We are family. 
when a guy asks a girl out for a date, right, ideally what he's hopefully doing is taking her for a meal and saying, hey, we could be family, like we could. Not, not that like they're, he's saying like maybe I, I could marry you. Like, hey, picture this. Hopefully they're not family, guys. <laughs> um, when, when we create these experiences where people come into our homes or we go to a, a meal at a, a restaurant, what we are saying is ignore everything that you thought about us. You are close to me. Recently, my coworker, who's not a believer, he uh, invited me over for dinner. And I was really surprised because, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher when I'm not a pastor, I'm a teacher. And we were in the middle of a pandemic, so I didn't really hang out with this coworker for almost a year. And after the pandemic, you know, we were both still trying to get comfortable with people. And he saw me, and it's almost like he missed me. And I, I haven't seen this guy for a year. We were, I thought we were close, but I didn't know how close we were. And he says, hey, man, I want you to come over for dinner. And, and I, my wife and I, we were, we're going to cook for you guys. Uh, I came over, and it was like he prepared his house. He prepared this meal. And... I realized what he was saying was, man, you are so important to me. You're, you're like family. That's what we do when we invite others into our homes. We're saying, you are like my family, right? Um, and not just for our neighbors. <coughs> Excuse me. There's water here, right? Oh, yes. So, but also for our, our church family. I don't know if this is you, but during the pandemic, the, the church that I had, um, we encouraged people to uh, do what they felt was right. So if it's you know, social distancing, they social distance. If it's meeting together, it's meeting together. But the crazy thing we found was there were some of us who wanted to social distance, uh, who felt that it was important to social distance to protect their loved ones. And at the same time, they missed that community. And during the pandemic, when we finally said, hey, get, let's get together, it was those um, who were social distancing that were, they, they knew they had to do it, but they were so desperate for community. And when we started meeting together, there was like this shock, like I don't remember how to talk to people. I'm really overwhelmed by all the people who are here. And at the same time, there was this other impulse that was like, oh, I miss everyone so much. I don't know how to start that conversation, but know that I miss you. You could see it in their eyes, like, oh my gosh, there's so-and-so, I haven't seen them in a year, right, or six months or whatever. When the Holy Spirit begins to work in a community, what happens is there's unity and there are meals. There is this time where people eat together. The pandemic has been difficult because we have not had that time to eat together. We just haven't had it. Like even people who want to haven't had it, you know? And as we are leaving the pandemic, one of the healthiest things a church can do is invite people to eat together. I think the church is gonna have uh, family meals together. But how about you? Are you going to have family meals where you invite people you haven't seen? You know, in this moment, there's some of us joining us online and we're still not comfortable uh, joining the big crowds. But I imagine that those of us who are joining online do miss people. We would love to be invited to a meal, right? One-on-one, right? Maybe you and their family. Uh, we miss that. 
That is so, it's one of the sweetest parts of community. Can we do that? Revival always accompanies community, right? When God works, it is not just quietly in someone's prayer closet, but it spills out into the community. People come from all over, right? There is this um, gathering that naturally happens. Even the, the word church, I don't know if you guys know this, the word church means gathering, ecclesia. In Greek, it means gathering, right? When God works, it is in community. If you all want to see God work, right, be in community. Let the Holy Spirit unite us, bring us together. Here's my last point for us, and then I'll close this out. And I told you guys this was coming. Communion cannot happen without community. In fact, communion or coming, uh, communion having uh, the Lord's Supper and, and meeting together leads to community. When we are a church, right? When we take communion together, it is not just us identifying with the blood uh, of Jesus Christ, but it is also us identifying with one another, right? Let me read for us Acts chapter 11, verses 16 to 18. It says, and I remember the word of the Lord, this is Peter saying, and he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when he believed that Lord Jesus, uh, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Verse 17, if then God gave the same gift, same, them, me, same, right? And there is this moment, right, where everything fell silent and they thought about it and they said, wait a minute, who am I to stop God from working? If God is working in my heart in the same way that God is working in their heart, right, then we are the same, right? Our God is the same. Communion, when, when we practice uh, communion, uh, the taking of God's elements, and communion as in coming together, right, it naturally leads to community. The Gentiles too, they are the same. If the Jews could build a bridge to the Gentile world, here's the thing I wanna leave you with. What bridges do we need to build to our own community? Right, what bridges do we need to build in our community? Now, obviously, there is, our nation is thinking about color, right? I'm yellow, right? he's black, he's white, right? He's brown, right? Uh, but that's not it. That's not the only bridge that needs to be built in this moment. What about the political divide? Are there bridges that need to be built, right? Some of us, we vote one way, others vote another, but the same God is Lord of our lives, the same God, the same spirit is at work in our lives. How do we build bridges with those? Here's another one for us. We might not even think about this, but this is a divide. And not only is it true for the world, but it's true about this community. It's true for my community. The young and the old, generational divide. Right, there's a generational divide. Young people talk a certain way, they dress a certain way, they listen to music, right? And for those of us who are a little bit, I consider myself a little bit older, right? I'm, I guess I'm kind of in the middle, I'm 40. Um, it it kind of is difficult for me to understand, like the TikTok and the, so how do you spend so much time on your phone? Like, it's difficult, but can I bridge that divide? For those of us who are a little bit older, can you work to bridge that divide? 
right? For those of us who are younger and we're having, it, having such a hard time understanding the older generation, that will never change unless you take steps forward to understand them, to, to love them, right? And this used to happen in high school where like, the, I don't know if it still happens in high schools nowadays, right? But uh, no, not so much as a high school teacher, but when I was a high school student, there was like the jocks and the nerds and you know, the band kids. Uh, well, we do that sometimes in our own communities, right? With the young and the old, like there's just this group and that group. But what would happen if we loved one another and we were unified and you tried to build bridges and talk to people who were from a different generation, from, you know, that you didn't understand? And not in a judgmental way, but kind of just, hey, why? Why do you do this? What, what's, like, who are you? Here's another one, and I don't know if you guys struggle with this, right, but uh, many churches I've been a part of struggle with this. Uh, it's very difficult for single mothers to come into church. I don't know if you guys know that, right? It's very difficult because uh, everything is like, oh, like the married couples are hanging out and that couple and, and single um, mothers or single fathers, right? It's sometimes like, I don't know where I fit in. I know where my kid fits in and I want them to have the best, but I don't know where I fit in. What does it look like for us as believers to build bridges to, to these brothers and sisters? or from single parent homes, right? Um, that's, for us to reach the widows and the orphans, we have to do that. For us to be religion, we have to do that, right? And here's another one. It's getting a little bit uncomfortable in here, guys. <laughs> but uh, these things are all essential for building community, right? Wealth and poverty. I grew up poor, right? I'm a teacher, so I'm still poor, right? <laughs> but here's, here's something that I know about people who are poor, right? We think about the rich in a way that is not true of who the rich are, right? We think like, oh man, that guy is so stuck up. Whether he's stuck up or not is not, doesn't, irrelevant. But in our minds, we think, oh, they have money, so they have to be stuck up, right? And so I'm not going to talk to them because I don't, I don't want to feel bad. But what if one of the divides that happens, not just in the world out there, but in our own community, is that we don't make those intentional moves to invite them into our homes to meals, right? Because we're like, ah, oh, it's just not gonna, they're not gonna, it's gonna be like feeding them guinea pig. They're gonna feel embarrassed for me. No, this is how we build community. We let them into the messiness. And the reverse side, I, I can't speak for this side because I'm not rich, but uh, many of us who maybe like you're a little bit better off, you may have thought about poverty in a way that's not true about people who are, are poor, it's, uh, and here's one thing, uh, when my wife moved into the inner city with me, she, uh, her parents, who are a little bit better off, they said, oh my goodness, that's gotta be really dangerous. And you know what my wife said? I have never felt safer in my whole life living in the inner city. And you know why? It's because all of our neighbors know us and they're always looking out for us and the community is so tight. And she, she uh, I, I overheard her talking to her mom. She's like, mom, like you don't understand like, if anything happens in our street, someone calls my phone. Like, it's crazy, like, how much people are looking out for each other. And not only that, but we have never starved in that neighborhood. Never. Like, here's what's happening every single Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, every single day of the week. Someone's like, hey, you hungry? 
Like, oh, hey, we're, we're making this, we're having a cookout, we're doing this. Someone stops by and checks up on us. We've never starved, right? Even though I'm a, I was a pastor at the time and didn't make any money, we never starved. And my, mom, uh, my wife was talking to her mother and said, mom, don't worry about us. It, you're, you don't even know what you're missing out on. Like, it is really great here, All right? So maybe we have certain views of poverty that's just not accurate. Um, a, a good pastor friend of mine says, the poor don't think about poverty in the same way that the rich think about poverty, right? So rich, they think about poverty and wealth in terms of dollar signs. The poor, they don't even think of themselves as poor. Like, they think about poverty as relationships. I'm, they're not poor because they have all these relationships, so how are we thinking about our world? How are we thinking about the others? How, what things um, are just untrue? The, how, how have we classified the others as unclean? And how can we listen to the spirit of God and bridge those divides? I'll close off with this here. Acts chapter two, verse 42. Um, this is the verse, right, that uh, sets the church in motion. Acts 2.42, it reads, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Let me read that one more time. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So when we think about our daily devotions, a lot of us, we have distilled it into two things. We've distilled it into, did you read your Bible today? Right, the apostles' teaching, and did you pray today, right? And if we do those two things, we check off a box and we pat ourselves on the back and say, I'm a good Christian because I did my devos today, right? But what Acts 2.42 talks about in terms of devotions is actually four things, okay? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. So not just fellowship, but also to the breaking of bread. For us to practice our devotions as the early church practiced devotions, there are two more things that we need to add. We need to break bread with our brothers and sisters and with the community around us, right? And we have to fellowship with them. Two things that we've really struggled to do well during the pandemic, but two things which we can do in this very moment. Let me pray for us and I'm gonna invite, uh, is it, uh, who's coming up here? Pastor Gary. Uh, invite Pastor Gary to come up for us. But let me pray for us. Father, we believe, God, that your word is truth, that it reveals to us, Lord God, the deep things of our hearts, Lord. And not only that, God, but it leads us into the way everlasting. We know, Lord God, that in this word, Lord God, you are calling us not just to do things, God, but you are calling us, God, into this deep and rich relationship with you and with the people around us. We want that so badly, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you'd give that to Think Kingdom, that you'd give that to Kannapolis and to the, the cities and the communities that we live in. Give us those things, Lord. Unpackage, God, this gift that you've given us. Give us the courage, Lord, to invite others to dinner, to invite them into the messiness and the honesty of our lives. We pray, God, that you'd give us these things and we receive it in Jesus' name. And that was guest speaker Pastor Tufu with Rock the Bells Part 2. He illustrated how food was identity, that the Holy Spirit unifies, and to remember that communion leads to community. 
If you're blessed by anything you hear on this podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. you are anywhere near Charlotte or the surrounding areas, come by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard here in Kannapolis, North Carolina. Or you can join us online every Sunday at 1033 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. And go ahead and subscribe to us on Facebook and YouTube and head on over to Instagram and follow us under Think Kingdom and End. As always, you can go back, hear this message, and so much more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast. Mm-hmm.